to this episode in the second series of the Therapeutic Parenting Podcast from COECT, the Centre of Excellence in Child Trauma. This podcast provides people living and working with child trauma with effective coping strategies. I'm Serena Gay, your host, and today I'm talking to Sarah Dillon, again, who we met in the first of the series. Sarah is going to give us strategies to cope with we and poo issues with the children we're parenting. Sarah is the COECT's therapeutic lead, and she's a child and adult therapist helping people with attachment difficulties and complex and developmental trauma. She's also an author and an international keynote speaker on adoption and fostering. Hello again, Sarah. It's good to have you back. Hello, Serena. It's great to be back. Thank you for having me. Well, on our first podcast series, you spoke on an episode called Why Your Traumatised Child Behaves Badly, where you explained it's not about behaving badly, but about the child behaving its emotional age, which which because of its traumatic experiences is younger than its actual age. And that topic leads well, I think, in today's one on we and poo issues, which I understand is, is the one the most asked question is on the NATP's Facebook page. So clearly this is something that people really need answers to. And so for anyone in need of knowing, what do we mean by we and poo issues in the context of traumatised children? Well, firstly, I'd like to say you're absolutely right. It's um, a topic that comes up regularly with our parents. Unfortunately, many people don't quite understand how children who have problems with urine and feces and, and what they do with it, uh, it's, that it's very closely connected to trauma. Many people don't understand that it can be go way above medical and biological problems. Sadly, many of our parents will use standard approaches to trying to manage problems with wee and poo, but find that they're still stuck in this cycle where they can't seem to get on top of the problem. It's never ending. It's very frustrating for them and can go on for a very long time. And what I find that parents find useful is when they really start to understand this problem through the lens of the children's historical trauma and how it is directly connected to that. So how do these problems manifest themselves then? Unfortunately, they manifest in ways that can, you know, really be very off-putting for a parent to deal with. For example, our children might smear faeces. They might urinate in corners or over clothes, for example, in places other than uh, the toilet. They may, you know, have faeces in their underwear. Some of our children, unfortunately, will hide poo in very strange places. And many of our children don't even realise when they've wet themselves or, you know, they've pooed their pants. They just don't even realise it's happened to them until an adult points out that it has. So these are all the things that our parents have to deal with regularly. And it is extremely frustrating. And because of the smell of poo and wee, you know, nobody likes it. And so it's, it's, as I say, it's very off-putting. It makes their homes smell awful. And it can actually interfere with how our, how, how our children attach to their parents because the parent is sort of stood back from the child and struggles to connect with them. What age group are we sort of mainly talking about here? Well, that's an interesting question, Serena, because it can actually affect 
any age group. So when I was in care, I would, even to the age of 16, I would wee on the carpet at night time. There was a spe very specific reason for that. But mainly it was because I was fearful of leaving the bedroom to go to the toilet. Even though I wasn't in any way in danger of going to the toilet, but in that moment, my brain wasn't able to access the fact that there was actually safety outside of the bedroom door. So that's just one one example of how it can manifest, unfortunately. So let's talk a little bit more then about the reasons behind why these problems occur. I mean, I know that they're mm. essentially expressions of inner turbulence, but then I also understand that there's a whole range of reasons why they crop up. Can you take us through yes. those? Yes. So in no particular order, uh, the most important thing that I can say, which in fact I shout from the rooftops over and over again, <clears throat> is that we've got to step away from looking at the child through the, uh, their chronological age, their biological age. And we need to think about the children as developmentally much younger, perhaps even toddler or younger for some of our children. There are big early nurture gaps and maybe developmental needs haven't been met. So one example of that is that maybe the child was never potty trained properly, or perhaps uh, they missed out on the early nurture of regularly having their nappy change. So it's sort of comfortable to be wet. It's familiar. Even the smells can be familiar. I remember as a child that I found the smell of urine comforting. I found that when I wet myself, it was like a warm hug. So there are lots of different reasons. In addition to that, if a child has been experienced neglect, uh, sadly, they may have an underdeveloped sense of interoception, which is the ability to recognize when you're hot, when you're cold, when you're full, when you're thirsty, when you need a wee, when you need a poo, that kind of stuff. So they don't understand those bodily prompts. So they may not even realize that they need to go to the toilet, much like a very young baby. So they may have some sensory issues there as well. That would be a medical problem, though, wouldn't it? Well, yes, yes, you're right. However, the root cause of it is trauma and where the needs have not been consistently and predictably responded to. So in the end, the baby's brain sort of realises that, well, that neural pathway that I was building around knowledge of when I need to go to the loo, etc., hasn't been developed sufficiently and addressed. And so therefore, the brain eventually prunes that. And then... One of the things that I've seen happen lots and lots of times is where our children have, most of them, vast majority of them, have very very high levels of cortisol, the stress hormone that is pulsating, cursing around their bodies, that they, they have to discharge the cortisol. And so for some people, perhaps older children, they might, you know, discharge that cortisol through cutting their arms, sadly, through some form of self-harm. Uh, some children might make themselves sick, etc. But the cortisol can be discharged through bodily fluids. So there is a release of that feeling of being highly distressed and anxious all the time, uh, which is aggravated by high levels of cortisol. And there's a release from that through weeing and pooing. And what parents have said to me, and I and I've experienced myself is that when the child is highly distressed, the urine and the feces actually smell stronger uh. than when they're not. 
and you know, I, I have to be very honest here. I don't know the research that's been done into this, but I have to say to you that it's something that I've come up, uh, you know, dealt with hundreds and hundreds of times with with children from trauma. Also, I'd just like to add that some of our children will uh, hide their feces or their urine or even sanitary wear because they want to hide their trauma they're ashamed of it they don't want the parent to find it maybe they used to get in trouble when they were very little if they've experienced neglect and abuse if they pooed themselves if they wet themselves that kind of stuff it can also be um, a sign of sexual abuse but but certainly not always and so they may hide the trauma and other times they leave wee poo and, and other items out in order for the parent to see their trauma. In the hope that this will lead to some kind of a resolution of their fears. Yes, completely, because they don't have the words, you see, that this behaviour is their loudest voice. They can't explain it. They can't express it. There may not be any words for it because it could be intrinsically held body memory. In other words, things that have happened that the child is not consciously aware of, particularly if it's pre-verbal. So they know they have this problem. They understand they've got these really difficult feelings and they want to get rid of them and they need help with it, but they don't have the words to ask. So sometimes, you know, plonking a piece of poo on the bookcase is a big statement that says help. But conversely, it might be a way of them saying, I know you don't want me to do this, but I want a reaction from you. That can also be the case. Yes, but I don't think that's uh, often the case. And I don't want parents to think it is because otherwise they can believe that the child is deliberately doing this to them. However, if you feel very out of control on the inside, uh, your life feels very out of control, maybe the only thing you can control is your wee and poo. And sometimes attention is attention, albeit negative attention. So to get that sort of rise out of my parent, for my parent to react in a negative way towards me, is a little bit of a reward. I don't mean in a good way, but it, it fits their internal working model. It, it fits with the way the child feels about themselves. In other words, see, I knew I was bad and now you've reinforced that. Right. So it feels good to be wrong in a sense. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Absolutely, it does. And and then I suppose also there is the question of just being frightened to ask because of uh, what's gone on in their background. What about dissociation? Can there be uh, problems that arise then? Yes, most definitely. It's almost like the child sort of leaves their body in the moment. And if they do then they can be unaware of the need to wee and poo as well. It, it's like an expression of trauma through the wee and the poo. And also sometimes it's about nurture seeking. And if I wee myself or I poo my pants, then I'm going to elicit some connection from my caregiver in the hope of, of nurture seeking. Does it follow if, if a child has wee problems that it will also have poo problems? No. It doesn't. And a child can have poo problems and not have wee problems. Some have both. But in my experience, it's often one or the other that, you know, is most more present, if you like. So now, Sarah, what are the strategies that we can suggest here to to address these problems? First and foremost, think toddler. You know, 
even if you've had your child with you for many years or perhaps you're even a birth parent with this problem you know it will really help your child to kind of see them through the lens of a much younger child because you will avoid throwing them into high levels of toxic shame we need to make sure that the relationship between the child and the parent is intact throughout any incident around we and poo so we've got to find ways where we can have a conversation about it factually much in the way i'm speaking to you today serena without making it into an awful subject right. but being very factual about yeah. it so we might say to a child um oh i found a wee over here you know i think you must have had some big wobbly feelings let's clean it up together if it's an older child and you may not want to use because we do often find these problems in younger children however i have worked with children where they've been older we might just say to an older child just be factual you know i've noticed you've weed on the carpet you know i think that you're really struggling at the moment let's clean it up it's not going to be why did you do it did you do it avoid questions around it just be very factual make statements where possible clean it together because we want our children to begin to link cause and effect and to realize that you know if i poo my pants i'm going to smell if i if i wet myself i'm going to be wet if i wheel on the floor or put poo in the cupboard there's going to be a mess we need to clean it up that's a good thing to teach the children but first and foremost avoid shame i've got a lovely little strategy that my own foster mother used with me which really turned things around for me as I say, I used to wee on the carpet at night and I've already explained why I did that. So what my foster mum did was she said to me, do you know, I think you have sad wees and happy wees. And she said, I've noticed during the day you do your happy wees in the toilet and at night time, I think you get lots of sad wees. So we painted this bowl. She didn't call it a potty, she called it a beautiful bowl. And it was like one of those old tin camping bowls, white ones with a blue chipped rim round the top. <laughs> I can still see it. And we used a nail varnish and painted flowers and things on it. And she put it in the corner of the room. And you need to keep in mind, I shared a room with other children. And she said to me, that bowl there, that beautiful bowl, it's for your sad wheeze. So when you feel the sad wheeze, if you use that bowl and then together, We'll pour the sad wee down the toilet in the morning and try and put some words to it. So there were times when we went in the beautiful bowl and we poured it down. And there are other times when I still did it on the carpet. And she would say, oh, my goodness, those wees were so sad. You couldn't even get them in the beautiful bowl. You've got to remember I was a teenager. But it helped me to separate out, you know, the feeling of going to the toilet during the day when I felt safe or safer to this terrible feeling of abandonment I felt at night when the only way I could release some of the extreme anxiety and fear that I felt was through weeing on the carpet. So yeah, it's very important that we find ways to help our children to manage it, opposed to, as I say, shaming them for it. We can do things like making sure that if they go to school, that school have you know, extra sets of clothing, particularly PE, PE clothes and things, because children also feel shamed if they have to wear, you know, the, the school's spares. Those things are useful. Sometimes we might um, have to, you know, potty train a child again, allow them to regress enough to, to redo all of those things. One of the things that I do as a therapist when I work with a child who has wee or poo issues, but mostly poo, 
I will say to them, if that poo had words, I wonder what those words might be. And so we try and put some words to the feelings they have when they need or when this happens, particularly if they hide uh, feces or smear it. And that does seem to work well. A lot of the time they say they don't know, but just because we've reduced the shame over it enables the child to even be aware of that there might be another reason. So my foster mum used to say, I think you're frightened of leaving the bedroom at night. I didn't know I was, but when she said that to me, which is what we call naming the need, it definitely sat right. And in your work with children, the ones that do give you words, what kind of phrases do they use? What do they express? It, all of it is about their internal working model, which is very poor. And what that means is it's how they feel about themselves on the inside and how that plays out with their attachment figure in the world. So usually things like, I'm bad, it's my fault, um, I'm disgusting, rotten to the core is one that I've had, I'm dangerous, I hate myself, I'm a failure. In the main, unless there's been you know specific incidents of abuse that they want to talk about, those are the main things that the children say. And when they say things like that, how do you respond? Mm. So... Often what we want to do as adults with children, we want to make them feel better. It's very painful to hear a child speak about themselves in that way. But we will not help the child by saying, well, don't say that about yourself, Johnny. You're a lovely little boy. What we actually need to do is validate how the child feels about themselves. So we would say, oh, my goodness, it must be awful to feel that way. So bad that you've got to get those big, bad feelings out of you through your poo or your wee. That must be so hard. But do you know something? I see you very differently. And I'm going to help you begin to see what I see. And then slowly, you know, over the week, I say pepper rather than salt. In other words, don't overdo it. And um, just point out moments where you can evidence their goodness. So you might say something like, thank you for taking out that cup. That was very kind. So there's evidence of of something else about them that you see that they haven't yet been privy to because they're so immersed in these awful feelings of shame that's so deep-rooted that, that it permeates every fibre of the child's being. And that's why a lot of the we and the poo issues are difficult to manage with standard approaches because it goes way beyond bodily functions and it connects to the child's internal world and previous experiences. Now, I understand another technique that you, you you occasionally use is to actually recreate, if you like, the excrement using chocolate powder to uh, enact poo plays. So tell me a bit more about that. Yes. So some of our children, the only thing they had to play with when they were little was poo. And again, if they've got some sensory needs, they may need to access some sensory integration therapy. But if they've got some sensory needs, it can be really good, again, to normalise poo. But to And this will not make the child want to play with their poo more. I want to be clear. Yeah, right. We're giving them an alternative yes. way of playing with something. And so we might make poo. Also, you can get poo Play-Doh and make poo out of Play-Doh that sort of stuff. Yes, yeah, so you combine the colours and make the poo. And and it helps children to, you know, see that it's not that the poo is bad, it's not that they're bad, but we're trying to help them understand that we can do this in a safer, 
cleaner uh, way and also if you use chocolate powder with flour and butter that kind of thing and they eat it well it's certainly going to taste better than normal poo <laughs> yeah. yeah so it, it's about helping them to minimize the shame and make sense of this sensory need over poo yeah so if you you know walk into a room and find that your child has smeared themselves with poo what what would you what should you do to counter that situation I have actually experienced this in the past in a children's home. Firstly, I want to say it's so shocking, and I wasn't this child's parent, you know, so shocking to see that a child you care about or indeed love has done that to themselves. It is literally where they've externalised that internal working model. They've painted themselves in shame. They've painted themselves in how bad they feel about themselves. Also, if they've been sexually abused, and some of our children have, then it keeps people away. It keeps people away. Ah, so, right, clever. Yeah, because I yeah. smell. So the way that I handled it and the way that I've encouraged parents to do so is to do your very best to minimise the shock on your face. And I know that's very, very hard, but you might need to take a breath and just say, I won't be a minute. I'm just going to go and get something to help you, help clean you up, sweetie. Just so you can go out the room, burst into tears, take a deep breath, whatever it is you need to do to then go back and high nurture, high, high nurture, because this child may actually be in a state of dissociation. So you're not going to jump in there. You're going to do lots and lots of empathy. My goodness, sweetie, you had such big, bad feelings on the inside. You've had to paint poo over yourself on the outside, you know. I'm here for you now we can clean this up together sweetie real because we've got to make sure the child doesn't feel again shamed or that the relationship is broken or frightened because to do that to yourself you're already in a high state of fear no indeed so now what is the long-term outlook for children with these problems because one doesn't yeah. hear very often of adults with we improve no problems. well that's the good news yeah it is the good news because although it can go on for a long time they do usually come out the other side of it there are exceptions to that rule but they're, they're few and far between but in the main they will come out the other side of this particularly if you use some of the strategies that i've suggested and eventually they might get to a point where it reduces a lot and, and then one day you just kind of don't notice it now it stops so yeah i think that you know stay hopeful don't catastrophize over it. it it will get better but you must look after yourself as a parent because it is one of the biggest triggers for parents i can deal with anything but not we and poo so you've got to look after you too so we know, of course, that the NATP, you know, provides tremendous amount of good advice and training to parents. But on this particular topic, are there any organisations that people can go to for specialist advice? There are a number of organisations. Uh, the best thing that a parent can do if you still feel that you, you know, need some further support with this and certainly to rule out uh, medical problems, that's very important because some of our children are impacted with faeces, it may have big problems with constipation, etc. It is important to get the, in the medical side of things looked into, to be on the safe side. And then your GP uh, may refer you to other organisations or even to specialists within the NHS. 
to gain further help. A word of caution is that it's very important that you continue with your therapeutic parenting approach and strategies alongside any help that and advice that you may get elsewhere. Absolutely. Well, Sarah, thank you. That's been, I think, one of the most interesting chats actually I've had on this podcast. And I'm sure that what you've explained is going to be very useful in terms of strategies. Thank you. Thank you. So to the listeners of the podcast, you can find out more about therapeutic parenting techniques and access help on our website through www.coect.co.uk. And if you'd like to receive this podcast every week, just press the follow button. You'll find it on the Apple or Spotify podcast apps or wherever you access the Therapeutic Parenting podcast. Please rate, review and follow us. I know I say it every week, but it does mean more people will find us and benefit from all our helpful advice. Bye for now. Thank you.